and welcome to the Dad and Sons podcast. Your dads or your sons are growing up this week. More on that later, but to grow up with me <laughs> is my wonderful two beautiful co-hosts. Of course, we have the sexy Matt Visual. Oh yeah, that's me. Yeah. <laughs> he's got the voice. He's got the voice. Hello. And now, now he's got the smooth curves too. <laughs> Got that voice, and he's he's mm. he's traveling he's traveling out of state or across town or whatever the hell you call it in America. San Francisco, <laughs> it's like seven hours away. Whoa! I hope there's like no fires and uh, shit. <laughs> no, no, not not where I am. I don't know the geography of California very well. Are you going in the opposite direction or closer to said fires? Oh, um, no, I think I I'm away from fires. I'm away from the fire. Ah, that's okay. Yeah. Man, we're all about natural disasters here on the uh, the Dad and Sons podcast. <laughs> the Dad and Sons podcast is like a natural, a natural disaster. disaster. <laughs> <laughs> the the firefighters are like quite amazing. Uh, yes, down here or over here, should I say? Holy yeah, they, shit! They, like the whole mountains are on fire, and they like stop the fire like right. <laughs> Before it gets to like schools and fields and stuff, you can actually see it. <laughs> it's it's so weird. We live in an age of the Earth where the apocalypse can be going on on one side of the state you live in, and then on the other state, you're just in a hotel podcasting like nothing's ever yep. happened. <laughs> yep. I was playing the Switch through a giant flooding natural disaster. I mean, you know, it's weird. And to join in in that weirdness is the uh, the man you just heard, George Viedman. So many different thoughts. I mean, ah. hey George, I have to wonder, like, how how normal and okay it is to to do work while natural disasters are happening? Because like natural disasters are like humanity's natural enemy number one. This is where like religion and and evil gods begin with, and and now we can just. We can just sit back and, and go through our lives without without having to be afraid anymore. It's just on such a magnitude, a scale beyond what we're capable of thinking. Like, oh, the, the Earth could just shift. Like, two tectonic plates could just shift, like, a millimeter. And then 15,000 people could die in an instant. It's so weirdly, like, well, that's never going to happen. And then it happens, and you're like... Mm-hmm. Oh well, <laughs> what can I do? And and it like it's responsible for the rise and fall of nations. I was reading just earlier about how how Ming China suffered two successive earthquakes in the um, mid 1600s that contributed to like inflation, uh, uh, diminishing the influence of the empires over their own country, resulting in in peasant rebellions. Um, Re- resulting in, in in the Manchurian takeover, which which resulted in in, in it, the empire gradually going away and whatever. I'm like super super hyped on, on on the butterfly effect of history right now. Yeah, I was gonna say if you couldn't tell, George's only contribution really to the Discord channel this week was I'm stupidly obsessed with history. I can't, I can't right get now. over and 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 you know because I'm going through Civ again. That's true, yeah. Well, you went from Assassin's Creed, which is a pretty good starting point, a representation of history in a short time. The the news is, like, apocalyptic these days. You, you can read about the politics, and it's apocalyptic. You can read about wildfires ravaging California, and it's apocalyptic. And I guess on our way out, I'd like to... Uh... See, see, see what we've gone and where we've come from. So, so me and the girlfriend started a new uh, 
session through through Civ Six. We're checking out the new expansion pack. It's called Rise and Fall. Very very creative. Were you playing multiplayer or just single player, making decisions together kind of thing? Multiplayer through the internet. Nice. I'm I'm gradually discovering that Civ Six has like really great potential as a as a party game with, with multiplayer because it Did was. Did you send save files via email? <laughs> um. um no, but we may if if she starts hosting. See, so the thing is, uh, there's some some good hot seat modes where you can pass the controller across for a local game and like have a party night of Civ, where everyone is is like trash talking each other and and handing the controller off and um um conniving and it's great good fun. And I've played it on the internet with strangers before and couldn't really get into it. And this is the first time I played it with with a good voice chat line going with uh, with the multiplayer before. And it turns out that the uh, asynchronous turn thing that they do, which basically has both players input their turns and um, at the same time, then press the pause button while another player may be finishing things up, depending on this dynamic timer that's supposed to adjust how long you get in your turn, depending on how many decisions you make. And splitting the turn up, well, not splitting the turn up, but like, sharing a a portion of of downtime between among each other and then doing small talk during the downtime of waiting for the cpu turn actually makes the game feel way better paced than alone because when you have someone to talk to you're not sitting and waiting for those really really long cpu turns it it makes the time go by like lickety split it's it's actually pretty darn great I remember having LAN parties and playing Civ Five, and they were some of the most fun I've had. PC multiplayer for sure. You'd never expect Civ to work so well. I mean, maybe there's like weird the, people out there who see this the, <laughs> slow-paced, turn-based thing, and they're like, "Of course, multiplayer." Yeah, the mental, the mental mind games though you play with friends, like. While you're it setting up your uh, everything, it's yeah, great. It's so it's so much fun. Um, but let's see. Uh, did I did I have any issues here? Oh yeah. Um, so <laughs> I don't know if if you guys do the same thing in Civ whenever I, I I start going through a whole entire new expansion, which is setting the time to marathon and trying to make the biggest uh, uh, Earth map possible. And apparently it's becoming harder to do that nowadays. I, 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 I played through a game with the default Earth map, and it was really, really small. Like Japan wasn't really an explorable area. It was tiny. And then I downloaded a mod that was supposed to be a little more robust, and it still feels small. The, the Florida Peninsula is like, like two tiles, and, and, and they can't do the boot on Italy with the, the space they're afforded to here. I miss that a little bit, but it's still really cool to see these games kind of constantly get <laughs> a little bit better, but then take a step back to, to make a new vanilla release and then get way better again. Because I think this expansion, The Rise and Fall, is is fairly well regarded among some fans. I, I've seen some quotes that were like, this is the stuff that should have been in the vanilla game by default, which always happens around the time of, of the big expansions afterwards. And it's hard to tell right now if uh, if I'm really sensing a mark of quality here. Because as, as we go through the game, we'll see. I actually haven't played Civilization VI or Beyond Earth. I played so... I think Civ V is like my highest Steam game per hours. But I haven't played six 
did you have one of the expansions on it? I had all the expansions for Civ Five. I think Brave New World is the one that yeah, like, Brave really World, grows yeah. that game up. Mm-hmm, was mm-hmm. Brave New World the one with uh, Gods and Kings was the one with religion, right? And then Brave New World I think gives you spies for the late game stuff. Yeah. And it was like more expansion upon like industrial revolution based stuff. Mm, and the trade networks for the earlier games too. Yeah. Which makes it possible. Brave New World does the thing. A lot of features from Brave New World get tossed over into Civ 6 to basically make uh, pacifist, like small trading playthroughs a lot more interesting and dynamic. And I love that about this game. I love how much fun, intense, and stressful it feels even when you're not at war. Like, you can basically engage in the, the tactical hex based strategy with with the religious units that will play out almost exactly like the combat without you actually having to declare war on anyone so there's always always something to do regardless of what path you take i was able to to actually make a a peaceful island trade network work for the first time in a civ game with uh with this system so would you recommend playing six then yeah, especially. I, I like six. You just got to keep in mind that with every new base installment, they they take a step back so that the I guess there's more room to grow in the expansions later. And that was the dynamic with Civ Five. Civ Five felt a little bare bones on launch. Yeah, but I imagine there's like a bundle during the Steam sale or something where oh there will be it'll come with all the expansions. It's inevitable. Like like Civ Five feels great now, yeah. but at launch it was a little. A little empty. Civ Civ Six feels a little less empty, but still emptier than a fully like customized Civ Five with a tower of of tactical attachments on top of it. But you can see it getting to some really cool places already with this first one. Damn, I'm gonna have to play. God, I love Civilization Five so much. So oh my much. god! What if What if we started an email game? <laughs> <laughs> I'd I'd actually be down for that. Why does it have to be evil? Oh, man. Wait, what's the maximum amount of players? Can we get some dad and sons in on it? Oh, my gosh. That'll be the longest game ever. A true marathon. Just sitting here waiting. It goes on until George nukes us all. Because he's... I'm not gonna nuke us all. Yeah, you are. Well, you got... Uh. Fucking Gandhi. So, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but whenever whenever Civ gets into the late game, I, I kind of start to notice my brain turn into mush. I've never actually seen... Either me nor the AI use nukes in late game Civ. I think once in Civ 5. I've seen the AI use nukes, but it wasn't Gandhi. It was not Gandhi. It was in Civ 4 vanilla. And I have not seen it since. This was back in like 2005 or 6. Um, well, I've only, well, Civ 5, I played a lot of Civ 4, but I think Civ 5 is the one where I got the most end games and stuff. I've always just want like space race stuff. I just want to go to the moon, man. Mm hmm. I always have good fun going after the the, the, the peaceful victories. You guys just remind me of Warcraft. 3. I think I think ironically, the one who nuked me was uh, the 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 woman like Celtic Empress from Bodica. Yeah, Bodica. Yeah, from Gods and Kings. She's aggressive. <laughs> what a legend! I know. I think she had like a high uh, chance of using nukes. Uh, what else we got? Got kind of a, a weird week going on. I've been super busy trying to finish a game demo. Oh, yeah. That hopefully by the time this episode comes oh, out, yeah. people can play. That'll be nice. Footspire. Yeah. I'll talk more about that probably next week. Um, but if you're interested in playing a game I made, check it out on Twitter. Other than that, 
I've been playing Tetris Effect. Oh my gosh, I can't. I, I, I want to finish up Subnautica on my PC, move the headset over, and like binge that. Don't even bother. Just fucking play Tetris Effect. <laughs> Without VR. I, but my first impressions gotta be good. I, I know. That's why you should like play it now. Okay, so um, explain Tetris Effect, because I have tried to get it. I have watched videos, I have read stuff, and it looks like Tetris it, with pretty... <laughs> <laughs> Great, like, end of a commercial tagline. <laughs> yeah. Straight up with the Sega attitude. Don't get it. Just play it. Um, it is Tetris. Very pure and simple. It is Tetris at the end of the day. But it's Tetris with, if you know anything about Tetsuya Mizuguchi, who is the creator of Res, or Ch what was the other game? Child of Eden, that Connect game. Um, you know all about Synthestasia. And uh, using music and illuminating particles to ev invoke or evoke feelings out of the uh, player whilst yeah. playing. <laughs> now that you mention it, I see it. There's a lot of res in there. Oh my god, it's like res number two. It's res, oh my but god. not a shooter. That's basically no what it is. Yeah, dude, like, I have friends it, who would like kill for who would kill for a res two. Yeah, so Res was like a like an on rails shooter that you you know you God, it's hard to describe what Res is. Where you defeated things to like a musical beat, and you went through these levels that were kind of like LSD trippy esque uh, levels, and it was amazing, and it was highly praised. Didn't sell very well, but was highly praised. And then they really recently released under Mizuguchi-san's new company, Enhanced Games, uh, the Res HD for VR and stuff. Was it last year? <laughs> so then that brought around a whole sort of new interest in Res and like what Mizuguchi-san was doing. So then they announced what was it E3 this year? I think like the PlayStation showcase just before E3 that there was a new Tetris game coming, and people were like whoa. What's this? And it had that really trippy trailer. And then everyone was like, wait, what the fuck? This is Tetris? Wow. Um, so, yeah, it came out the other day. Uh, uh, big thank you to Mark McDonald, who is part of the 8-4 Play podcast. Some people might know. He works for Enhanced Games after leaving 8-4. He sent me a code for Tetris Effect to check it out. Um, it is amazing. It is amazing. And I don't think I'm playing it in the most optimal way. I don't think I'm truly experienced just how great this game can be because I have not played it in VR yet. I feel like in VR, this game is probably one of the best experiences you could possibly have with a PlayStation 4. It's so zen and... I don't know, like, uh, I don't want to say emotional because it doesn't, it doesn't invoke emotions, but. Was that a sniff? <laughs> like, I, I, I'm trying, I'm trying not to cry, Matt. Are you really? No, no. no. Oh, it's, okay. No. Because I have friends who have <laughs> shed tears at, at seeing Res in VR and in there Hyper was HD. One, the, I will admit there was one moment, there was this one, everyone, like, people have been posting GIFs of, uh, uh, on it on twitter it's a it's like a freestyle jazz level so basically what makes tetris effect so special is that 
each level has like a theme, whether it's like the wind or the sea or fire. And then it has like a music track, a DJ track specifically built for that level. And then all the beats build up over the time as the speed gets greater and stuff like that. And it rises and it falls and the, the speed of the Tetraminos comes as the music does at the different Tetris speed levels. So everything, the music is specifically built around the fact that you're playing Tetris, which is quite amazing. So on top of that, every time you move a Tetramino or you drop a Tetramino or you turn a Tetramino or anything, it like makes a musical sound. Like if you were hitting an instrument or like, you know, those keyboards you had in school where you had like the DJ button and be like, yeah, yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. Like cheap little Casio keyboards. Yeah, yeah. Exactly like that. So the Tetraminos act like those kind of samplers, like they're mini samples. So every time you do something with a Tetramino, it makes a sound. So you're playing Tetris, but also you're making music at the same time. It's so cool. And sometimes it works so well, like this the, the freeform jazz level, where every tetramino is like the hit of a hi-hat or like a horn or something. And it's like going off to the background of like kind of like a New York City theme when you have like cars honking in the background. It's so cool. And you really get into it. And you kind of forget that you're playing Tetris because, you know, in typical Tetris fashion, you just, you get the Tetris effect. You zone in on it. Oh, yeah. So that's the title. Yeah, the title comes from that thesis called Tetris Effect, the study of seeing shapes in objects Mm. after playing Tetris. Is this game, it's deliberately in Tetris, right? It's just Tetris. Oh, Matt, like, get yourself a PlayStation 4, sign into the podcast account, and, and just, like... like just concentrate be, just, in Tetris. <laughs> just love it. Tetris concentrate, Tetris distilled, Tetris filter. No, it's because it's not even that. It's like, if you're good at Tetris, Tetris is enjoyable anyway. If you're pretty bad at Tetris, Tetris can get frustrating pretty quickly, even though it is in- insanely addictive. There's a pressure there to get faster and stuff like that. But even though I have... I'm on the last level now on normal mode and it is fucking hard. Like, Wait, it is how do hard. They, how do they determine a... levels and there being yes. a final level in Tetris? Okay. No, no. So, so Tetris Effect has what's called the journey. And it is like specifically designed and catered levels for you to go through that all have different themes and and they don't tell a story, but they, they try to evoke different emotions in you as you're going along. Some are like super high energy beats that are trying to like get you to move quickly. And some are like the sea and the wind and you're floating along nicely and stuff like that. But it is like a catered journey. It's a very well-designed path through different themes while also playing Tetris. But then you have like the the other modes where you can just do what you want. Like they have like uh, created playlists that change every week and they have challenges that you can take on and stuff like that. And you can also play through any stage you want at any time. It's so, it's such a a great experience that caters to everyone. Whereas like old school Tetris was, you know, just Tetris and it got faster and stuff like that. And while Tetris effect, as I said, is really hard at times, I can get up to like speed 11 12 maybe pushing it before like my mind just turns to mush 
Um, yeah, I was about dies. to say it, it almost but, sounds like they're like strapping you into a, a, a panopticon or something, like like prying oh your God, eyes like open and forcing you to watch nature music. Yeah, the speeds at which it moves is can be incredible, and then at times, sometimes. The particle effects and all the niceties that are going on can be incredibly distracting. So when you're like moving at super high speeds and you're actually just trying to clear the level and reach like 36 lines or whatever, sometimes like all the fancy stuff going off in the background or in front of your face can be hella distracting. So that sometimes can be a little bit of a negative. But if you just want like a game that just tunes you out like you've had a long day and you don't want to do fucking anything you can just go into like the global mode i forget what it's called the like not the journey mode the kind of online part where they have like custom playlists and just select like the c playlist and you don't get any game overs and you just play tetris to this wonderful visuals and music it's great it's really nice it's like it's basically just like an interactive music visualizer with Tetris. It feels like it will get boring after a while. Like, just... Yeah, I also like thought it like would... nice, and then after, like, a week or so, the Tetris effect will just wear off. I kind of get what you're saying. And there have been times when I've put it down and I've been like, that's enough. I don't want to play this anymore. Because this is still Tetris. It's still Tetris, though. It is still Tetris. And Tetris but this is lot... not, like... No, but there's a lot of variety to it. Like... There is different challenges that it can do. Like, the one thing the game is really good at is, like, surprising you with random things. Like, I stumbled across the Game Boy homage level. And there's no way you can, like, just access it. It just stumble... You just stumble across this kind of stuff. Or you'll stumble across levels that flip upside down and you have to play Tetris upside down. Oh, my um, God. That sounds like hell. That sounds like literal hell. Certain challenges where you have to complete, like... 40 lines as fast as possible. Or you can have like a marathon mode where it gradually gets faster and faster. And there's, there are lots and lots of different variations of it. And then there are, I can't believe just how many different themes there are. There isn't just like fire, sea, and wind. It's like, this is like an urban feeling. This is like a desert feeling. That's this is like very Japanese. soaring in the sky on it. a balloon. Like, just kind of a, a zen, transcendental, meditative experience? It is. Like, I would say, like, the closest thing a video game has ever got to meditative is Tetris Effect. Because Tetris can be very hypnotic. Like, I, I have had that happen. I have experienced the Tetris Effect. I've had Tetris dreams. This is by far the best version of Tetris. Like, and I'm including Tetris DS in this, which is a fucking yeah. amazing version yeah, of Tetris. Yeah, gotta wait for, for the portable port, because... Tetris DS, got guys, guess what I was doing at my high school graduation ceremony? The most George thing ever, playing Tetris DS. I was playing Tetris DS. Wow. <laughs> it was a really the, long, this boring is, This is how much of a weird zen meditative experience it was. Guys, I literally went to a store and nearly bought playstation vr hmm for I tetris ne- for tetris for tetris, for tetris. it's, it's games, not even super it's hot not even, even it's tetris it's not even really but it's not even wanting it's not even wanting to play tetris this is what's so cool about tetris effect is it's i just want to be like in that like 
I live in Japan. I can't take drugs because Japan really doesn't like drugs. So I kind of want to simulate them to the best of my ability. Wow. So you're going to get really, really drunk, stay up for two days straight, and strap then just yourself in to strap myself in and watch like some floating elephants and oh some shit God. inside of Tetris Effect. It's so zen and it's so, um, it's such a, it's a, just a nice experience. And like, if you want like hardcore Tetris, like it's there, like this shit has like, all the speed it has everything every other Tetris has ever had and it has like this new mechanic called the zone mechanic where it freezes time and you can drop all the tetraminos you want and they stack and they stack and then you can clear all so, the lines so does it have a, a hold box yes it does can and you there are modes where you can't hold and there are modes where you can't like turn certain ways or can yeah, you the, the, spin infinitely like in Tetris DS and just kind of yeah, mash the rotation yeah. button and think about your next you move can, forever you can so it has the most simple controls ever. You know, it uses the D-pad. It doesn't use the analog stick. Um, it uses the D-pad. You press L1 or R1 to hold. And then you press X and circle to either move counterclockwise or clockwise uh, spins. And then you press L2 or R2 to use the, the zone mechanic. Which is like a which, bullet time sort of thing? No, it's not a bullet time. What it does is it freezes... Tetronimo time? No, it freezes all of the blocks. So... When you get a line, the line doesn't clear. It keeps stacking and stacking and stacking. And also, it freezes the speed. So if you're like on a really high speed, you can press it and you give yourself a bit of like a moment of relief to like stack all, to make almost like to clean up like the mess Holy you might have made. Shit. So does that mean it's possible to, it's theoretically possible to clear out the entire board at once once the time stop freezes? Oh my god, yeah. People are doing it, oh, like, all the time. That sounds so satisfying. That sounds like an orgasm. I, I literally, just before we started recording, I saw a tweet from Mark <laughs> saying that someone had cleared 21 lines. And they didn't even think in development that it was theoretically possible. Because a Tetris board is only 20 lines long. But the game oh. gives you one line of leeway that is invisible on the top of the stack. Yeah, so there's like mercy so if time if you stack over yeah, during so the someone freeze. had cleared all of the 20 Whoa. of the board so and they then mentally had organized... kept track of what they could see on top of their own screen? Yeah, but not even oh. that. They reacted so quickly to turning it and fitting the pieces invisibly within like okay. the split second and then cleared a whole 21 board. I want to like, clarify, this, like, like people might have crazy. thought that my enthusiasm just then might not have been genuine. I'm really excited hearing about this. Like, I went through a huge Tetris phase in, in those high school years that I would like to capture and go back to. Well, George, you know, it's on the podcast account. You got a PlayStation VR, which I'm insanely jealous about now. Mm. Check it out. Um, I, I'm, I'm, it's just Tetris, guys. It's, it's just <laughs> I, I, I think Matt should give it a go. I think it's yeah. only on... Is it on PC, maybe? I don't know. Is it, I think it's only on PlayStation 4. I, I mean, that's but been I, I can't, exclusive. Like, I, can't, I can't recommend it enough. It's, 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 it's a hard... Hearing this from you has me a hell of a lot more convinced than all of the previewing I had tried to do earlier. Because you might have noticed, like, I didn't get it at first. But now that you've described it, 
I think I kind of sort of get it. It's like someone just got Res and Tetris and put them <laughs> together. That's get literally it. what Mizuguchi did. <laughs> it's a what I like is reactive like video games and doing stuff like having the Tetraminos make a different sound depending on the the song like you're playing, the stage you're on is amazing. Like there's this one stage that is very uh, reminiscent of like maybe Indian uh, themes like uh, drums and like chanting and stuff like this. And it's so like the beat is so built like it just gets inside of you and it builds up so quickly. <laughs> but the the tetraminos you drop are like drum sounds. So you have like this dun, 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 and it's like chanting in the background and you're like you're like putting tetraminos down and it's like and it's like oh my god I'm making music and playing a game at the same time and it, like everything's just going on it's so cool ah it's good I like it a lot but it so, can be hard play it on easy if you're not good at Tetris I'm not good at Tetris I mean I'm okay I get to speed 12 she's not that great but if you are afraid or if you are playing it right now and you're struggling on normal just bump it out at easy there's not too much of a difference, but it gives you a little bit of leeway to finish the journey. So I recommend it, though. Even though the price is a little steep for Tetris. How much How much is it at right now? $40. $40? Yeah. I wonder how but much Tetris it's, it's DS worth was. It. It's, it's worth it. Yeah. And I think if you have PlayStation VR, like, my God, you have to own this game. All right, so what else we got? Uh, Matt, you got anything? Um, I'm in a hotel, and Skype keeps cutting out. So, mm, so you can't scream. I'm, 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 totally, I'm totally aware in here, guys. I'm totally aware in here. I want to hear about Monty Python, though. I, I want to oh. hear why you don't like Holy Grail, because you're, you're an, an insane man. You're an insane I, man. I, I, oh, my God, I didn't see that. Yeah, Jesus Christ, yeah. what is I, wrong I, with I you? I plopped it down on the podcast outline to talk about today. Me, me and the GF... As always, I guess. Um, did the the two big Monty Python movies, Life of Brian, which mm, still holds up, fantastic. Well, the scene where he's just trying to get home but accidentally starts a new religion is, mwah. Um, <laughs> there's so many great moments in that line. Like, like, what did the Romans ever do for us besides the aqueduct, the the peace and the order and and the drinking water? Um, God, um, I I enjoyed the hell out of that movie as a kid. The first time I saw it, the like edgy, blasphemous humor seemed like something really, really, really new and surprising to me as as a as an American kid who grew up with a super religious father. But he got a kick out of the movie more than I did because he actually got the references. And knowing that it's like okay to laugh at that was was a great experience. Uh, and then and then we did the the Holy Grail, which is a movie I saw as a kid and didn't really get, and I still don't get it. You don't like you don't like fun things, George. I guess you, you, it's too silly like for me. I, I you want... just talked about like religion and yeah. stuff and serious issues. There's clever wordplay, and and, and oh. the Holy Grail is like full of really cheesy sight gags that just seem kind of coconuts. Yeah, the black, the, the black yeah, the d- black dismembering knight. people who still want to fight you. El- yeah, he's he's got no arms and no legs and still wants to fight. That's is that the joke? Amazing. Is that really it? I mean, they're just, they're just the funny sight. Like Forty years ago. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I wonder, 
they just seem so different to me. Do they to you guys? Am I just the crazy one here? The two, these two I movies. Was, it's been a few years since I watched it, but yeah, I remember really I haven't watched it, it since Christmas, maybe a good five or six years ago. Yeah. I gotta rewatch it. See what's up with that. See if, uh, you're just an insane man. I don't, I don't remember not liking it, though. Do you remember at least, like, questioning its, its cult status and... No, I like, like, medieval-themed stuff. Especially British, like, medieval. Oh, man. And, uh, beloved praise experience. The one, the one scene where I actually was cracking up laughing and was just totally rolling with the movie and having a great time was that conversation he has with the filthy peasants. It was like, well, of course you can't be the queen, the, the king of England if a watery tart throws a sword at you from a lake while they're literally <laughs> stacking mud in a dirt pile. It's... It's, it's conversations like that that, that that I want. And every time they happen in these movies, they're so good. And Life of Brian is just like those conversations full of like anachronistic history humor from beginning to end. And Monty Python is full of so many more just super duper simple sight gags that, that, uh, that, that lead to then the animator had a heart attack. And it's just a little too silly for me. So it's so silly. <laughs> I don't care how you don't like Holy Grail, though. Like, uh, what what yeah. don't you understand about the Black Knight? Yeah. Uh, what's the joke? Well, it, the trope is that knights can do pretty much anything, and he is a knight who gets attacked a lot and loses his limbs, mm-hmm. and is continually just like, "Tis but a scratch." Is that something knights continue- <laughs> like? When you say knights could do anything, could they? Like how how far was their pa- could they could they assassinate emperors in front of the senate and get away with it? I mean, it's more just that you know in medieval tropes, knights are strong and persistent, and they die in battle and go on. But the Black Knight just—I think you have he, this he, obsession with history right now, ab- dude. Obsession. Absolutely, literally, it doesn't feel healthy, you guys. <laughs> and anything that doesn't have any type of history in it. You just like just toss it to the side. This. <laughs> I mean, it's like, no side. It's like fun, fun side gags, something stupidly funny. No, don't want. Yeah, it. let's see. I'm going through the list here. There's there's Civ Six historical setting, Soul Calibur Six like f- fantasy historical setting, Monty Python movies. I have been playing through more God of War, not exactly historical, but you can still learn something from the mythology about history. Why don't you go through uh, some black history, George? (laughs) You know what? I would like to. I would love to have more games where where you you free slaves as a badass assassin than just one that got poorly reviewed. I would love to have shriveled up badass angry black ladies on the $20 bill instead of Andrew Jackson. I I don't know. I mean, when you bring that up. You want to go to Red Dead Redemption 2 and and, and, go with the KKK? Oh, my. Yeah, you're... You're, you're, you're digging at, at, at demographics of, of the video game industry that, that are steadily changing, but still have yet to... You know, he's the guy, he's the same guy, the guy who uploaded that video. Oh, oh, what? we're talking about the video? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give the viewers a link. Check the description, guys. That, that really, that, that guy is the same guy who posted a video of, that went crazy, uh, of him, like, beating up the suffragette. Oh, really? Woman? That was the same channel? 
That was the same channel. Okay, I guess Shinnacle or whatever. Yeah, it's called? we need to clarify. Yeah. There's a YouTube channel that uh, uploaded a video of of what happens if you bring a black man to KKK in Red Dead Redemption Two. And it's kind of exactly what they sound like. Don't the KKK just, like, freak out and start killing you? Uh, yeah, they start, um, they get caught on fire. Like, one of the members get caught on fire. Oh, yeah, because they then, walk into the burning yeah. cross. What a and, game. What a yeah. What a feel-good video game. What a relaxing two hours before bed. <laughs> right, right. Very, Ugh. very... Very interesting to put that in a game, I guess. But yeah, but, it seems like yeah. like they did not program in a specific reaction. Are are, are the clansmen hostile NPCs by default? I don't know. I haven't. Me played. neither. Yeah. Liam, you have played. I've, I've, I, I haven't actually found them. I don't know where they are on the map. I haven't found them yet. Oh, okay. I, I wanted to just like when I saw when I. When I found out they were in the game, that was before I saw this video. I was thinking of ingenious ways to uh, kill them all in the <laughs> dead of night, but I haven't I haven't come across them yet. Yeah, uh, supposedly the main character hates them, from what I can tell by the. the... Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. More, Arthur Morgan's a pretty, pretty cool guy. Like, I think he's ignorant. Like, there's a scene where he's riding with like uh, a guy called Lenny who's uh, one of the two black guys in the camp, I think. Um, and, you know, they're talking about kind of like growing up has been rough for them both. Like, you know, he's an outlaw and everyone hates him because he's an outlaw. And then this other guy is talking about the it's fact that he's, he, he, well, that he's black and his parents, like, I think one of, like his mom was black and his dad was like Mexican maybe. So... He, he's, like, basically doubling down that he's hated. And, like, Arthur's like, I don't understand it. And he's like, well, of course you wouldn't understand. <laughs> You're not black. And, and that kind of thing. <laughs> but Arthur, Arthur's generally just like, oh, yeah, maybe you're right. He's a, he's a, Arthur is a pretty good guy. I think he's ignorant, and that's true to his character. He's kind of stupid. He is kind of stupid. That's, like, some of his responses, legend, you're like... I guess. Well, that's the yeah. thing is his responses sometimes. You're like, yeah, that definitely sounds like a 40-year-old man who doesn't mean any harm. He just kind of is blissfully ignorant what of stuff. What year does the game take place? 1902, 1902 I think. 1902 literacy rates. Let's see what comes up. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, it was just a joke, the but like, I'm, I'm interested, like, <laughs> Grand Th- like, the creators of Grand Theft like, Rockstar, uh, tackling like topics like that it feels so weird to me yeah they're usually way more immature about it there yeah. is i there, i i think i saw on twitter there's a there's an npc in maybe saint denis one of the big cities uh similar to like the suffragette where he's maybe being racist or sexist or something and like if you beat him up you don't get a bounty He's like one of the only NPCs in the game where if you beat him up in front of everyone, no one cares and you don't get a bounty, which I think is pretty cool. Mm. So <laughs> the, that's frontier justice, I guess. <clears throat> but yeah, that video is so weird. Both of those videos. <laughs> well, it, what, what's interesting about that video is the, the comment section. Oh, mm. and the trolling and stuff like that. Uh, that's 
yeah, that that's that's it's it's like uh, the video created a a space for people to be people on the internet and have no consequences for their what they're saying. You know, so I, it, it was very interesting. It was it was very interesting to see like how people react to certain things like that. You know, you're on the internet, you can say whatever you want, right? Because yeah, some of the stuff but... they will never say in front of people. I think Never I people. mean, yeah, I'm going to be George here, but I seriously worry about kids who grow up without as strong a frame of reference towards real life politeness that we have. Yeah. Like, like we at least got like a couple years in, in the nineties around the turn of the millennium where most of our social interactions with most of the like bawdiest, dirtiest jokes we ever told were still with people face to face. And I, uh, that, that was still the default mode of communication with other human beings. Now, uh, a kid can grow up with internet friends, with internet socialization, with internet humor and internet series. And I wonder what that does to change their frame of reference for what is considered uh, uh, polite and decent overall across all human interactions, whether it's IRL or through a screen. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to look up the literacy rate. I'm trying to see if Arthur Morgan would have been able to read the news in 1902 or not. <laughs> well, he can read newspapers. He does have newspaper oh, clippings okay. by his bed. Okay, well, I found yeah, it super there cute. Go. There's a newspaper clipping by his bed of his first robbery. <laughs> it's so adorable. Wow. Like He keeps like two pictures, a flower, and a newspaper clipping of his first ever robbery that made the news. Adorable. Okay. Um, <laughs> literacy, our world and data, 1902. Oh, they got uh, some statistics for 1900, which I guess might be close enough. Uh, oh my god, I, this is an article on South America! <laughs> ah! You, okay, no more history, George, you're, you're on probation. Okay, yeah, I'm closing the tabs, <laughs> I'm closing the tabs. It's way too easy to get sucked down these, these, these history holes. Um... What else? Let's change it. Let's 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 move on. <laughs> Probably for the best. <laughs> um. Um. What about what about God of War? I, I've been playing more God of War. I I've been been going through it some more, and I I don't know. I just don't know anymore. <sighs> Liam, you're totally right. You're vindicated. You're fighting the camera in that game as much as you fight the bad guys. Yes! Uh, I play this game so I can be like, yo, man, this game's amazing. What are you talking about, Liam? <laughs> Gotta bring balance hey, to this whoa, podcast. Whoa, 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 whoa. All I whoa. said was the camera wasn't good. I like the game. George says he doesn't like the game, but everyone I will have to I still don't know yet. I mean, maybe you can let me know how, how early in I am. I, uh... Yeah, okay. I just finished the, the section where you go to the Alfheim and, and help out the elves. <laughs> how far am Help. I? Yeah, quote Help unquote. Out. I'm trying not to spoil. You mean the first you time you spoiled go to it? Alpine. Oh, I okay. Didn't know so there was elves in the game, and then now, now I know there's elves that they're. There's totally elves in North mythology. The elves come from Vikings. They they invented oh that. Oh and God. dwarves and, and Tolkien a lot, a lot like Western no, fantasy no, literature. No, 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 you can stop. God there. damn it! No, it's happening. Ah! You can stop it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. No. Um. Um. 
so yeah, just just like if you had to give a rough percentage on on how long to beat, they said uh, about thirty hour average, and I feel like I'm a five to seven hours in. Yeah, so you bit that's the fir- the first time you use that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the yeah, wheel thing. Got a long way to go. You got a oh, long way oh to boy. go. Already. So a lot more time to to spend holding the the turn the camera stick. <laughs> Oh yeah. god, but it feels inelegant. Like instead of looking at bad guys, you're looking at a warning uh visual graphic underneath Kratos's feet. And instead of reacting quickly and like smoothly chaining blocks from one bad guy to a next as multiples rush you, you just I often just end up taking hits. I'm noticing that a lot of the fights are spent with uh very, very low health, and I'm I'm like kind of picking at them to refill up the the sparta meter and and get some health back and it's yeah that's mostly what i was doing just looking to oh, so get not just the rage me. meter right and just being like okay now i can just like annihilate everyone and, and carry on and instead of feeling like a, a, a smooth combo system it feels like it's supposed to be more of a like strategic hit and run gorilla thing but your move it, it still feels slow enough that they also still want you to be in the thick of the crowd of these enemies who are rushing you. Oftentimes too fast for you to react and feel like a cool guy. Um, because that camera is just so slow and narrow and zoomed in. And, and I feel like it would have worked way better if, if they... Just pulled it out a little bit. They could pull it out a little bit, but at the same time I still want an overhead camera, a, a, a camera relative character control a soft lock onto enemies it almost feels like the wrong engine for this combat they're making it feels like an fps engine for a melee combat game and with with the third person perspective like like a gears of war they needed to make some changes because of aiming the axe like a gun that's the thing that Uh, i think is killing me and i see that because it works really well but you could still do that with pulling the camera back a little bit. You use... They want you to use a lot of projectile stuff. Which is weird, because it does slow down the combat. Yes. Bit, even though you can snap your axe back. And then you're, like, supposed to use the, the force-throwing axe and returning to, to juggle enemies with barehanded combos while you don't have your axe, but it... It's so mm. just easy to lose track of, like, where it is and where the line is drawn between enemies and where everyone's, uh... Uh, coming at you from that I don't and the story also I don't think has yet to hook me I mean I'm enjoying it but I don't know if I'm I don't know if like full immersion has happened since the opening sequence the opening sequence felt very powerful and strong to me but since then it seems like it's taking its sweet ass time getting distracted along the way and yeah prolonging this thing out into a really quiet kind of lethargic experience there's not a lot of i don't know background the story music pays off exploring. i feel yeah i'll, I'll get there like, eventually i guess i feel like i feel like i enjoyed the story the most i felt i i felt like the world was pretty great too but is very chained in mm, and it I'll, seems large i know what you're talking about with those blacksmiths they're fun yeah. they're fun yeah they're really cool but there's not too many characters, so not enough gets yeah. fleshed out. But the development between Atreus and Kratos is pretty, is pretty damn great. Like, I'm not surprised to see God of War on the best, the best game of the year TGA nomination award list. It doesn't surprise oh, me. Oh, you know it'll be there. 
It'll be all over. Well, it is. They well, they the the game of the the mm. Jeff Keighley fan Bonanza. Yeah. They just announced nominees. the nominees. Yeah, you know, it's the standard people that we thought would be on there, but Celeste is on there as well, which is amazing. Woo-hoo. Oh, Good Monster Hunter Celeste. World. Well, yeah, I guess it's that's to be expected. <laughs> basically, yeah. God fucking damn it! The Game Awards are basically like this year's games in really expensive graphics and budgets. And Celeste. And there's Celeste. Let's see but what then else the indie, got. the indie, like the independent game category, is like so hard to decide. Yeah, because that's where like, the Oprah interesting Din, stuff is these days. Celeste, Into the Breach, Dead Cells, The Messenger. They put oh. the Messenger in there. Yeah, that surprises me. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> God, people like getting angry at me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, now they're going to get angry at me because I'm not, not have, I'm having more fun with Civ 6 than I am with God of War. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. God, Civ is so good though. Tetris is good too. You should play that. Oh my God. Tetris. 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 We're talking about Tetris in 2018. Tetris. Are, are we just old farts? by now we want to play tetch we want to play these like 20 year old like like legacy titles with with the jillion well, sequels you say that, and you say that and i'm gonna buy a pokemon game tomorrow so <laughs> yes you're doing it you're you're let's go liam i have to oh, after no. like the rant i went on oh, when chris Bratt no. was on the show i feel like i have to at least <sighs> do it my due diligence and you're gonna throw money down on that on that experiment on that risk yeah I am. oh dear i hope japan has good refund policies no once i buy that shit that shit's mine hmm let's see um and smash comes out in three weeks which is you know that's that's a that's just just gonna happen. Yeah, we got some weird releases this week. Pokemon Let's Go and Fallout seventy six are both coming out and right about five on early release. That time of recording, came oh, out. which has ray tracing apparently. What? You need a GeForce mm-hmm. twenty thousand something to to do that. Um, let's see. There's no final review scores of Fallout. 76 that Metacritic seems to want to shove to the top of the pile. There was a review up yesterday, but it looks like Metacritic actually took it down. It was a smaller publication I that I trust, guess might have rushed it. I wouldn't trust any Fallout 76 review coming out right now. Like, no one got the code early. <laughs> what no a good one sign that is. The beta wasn't no a good could, sign. The, the concept yeah, is just no, not a good sign. This, the, uh, multiplayer games like this, you, uh, fair enough, it's not an MMO, but... There's no way. You gotta play like, it after, man. You can't. You, you gotta play it after yeah. release. This you before gotta, release stuff with Fallout. Yeah. Okay. You gotta. You gotta give it time. Like I, I found it. It looks like this game isn't that great. Like people, like Jeff Gertzman said. Like, hey, look. My first impression of this is that it's not that great. The first but, review that Metacritic put up. Is for the Xbox version by Hooked Gamers. Guess what score they gave it? Wow, I used to write for that website. No shit, that really? Long, that was a long time ago. Yeah. Holy shit! What did the what a quinky ink? What did they give it? Um, eighty. Nope. Liam, you got a guess? Ninety. Uh, uh, I'm gonna go like a six. You're gonna feel. Everyone's gonna feel like such dummies, but also like this publication is so clever when they hear the score they gave it. Did they give it a smack bang average 70? 
Uh, you're getting warmer. So a 75. You're getting really, really warm, but you're not quite there. 76. It's, oh yeah. my god, 76. <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> oh wait, holy shit. Okay, now I get it. Yeah, yeah. I'll, oh uh, my god. I'll give everyone I'll give everyone a link to that. But Fallout 76's first submitted review to Metacritic no. gave it a 7.6. No, you can't do that. No, they did don't it. do that. Hookedgamers.com went and did it. <laughs> Wow, don't do that. Come on, guys. Oh, man. I mean, but then again, if you wanted, like, a feel-good, clever joke reminder of how arbitrary score and subjective scores actually are, there you go. There's a joke score. Do you reckon, for... do you reckon he was like, I'm going to give this, like, a 75? But but thought, yeah, you know what? Might as well go for the pun. I, I, I can appreciate that that hustle. <laughs> I mean, seven point six is still not a great score. To regardless, the the language of the review sounds more critical this, than a seven point six. Does but. this does this sound like a seventy six scoring review? It sounds a little Fallout seventy six has left me with mixed feelings, mm -hmm. and by and large, the simplest way to put it is that it's not for everyone. Yep. If you love the gameplay in Fallout Four, then the chances are you're going to have fun with this game. If what drives you in games is a main plot you want to see through to the end, you won't find that motivation here, as it's the sort of as it sort of just strings you along. If you admired how well blended the worlds were in previous games, you may be put off how different areas are so clearly divided that it feels like a theme park. Fallout 76 is a Fallout and isn't a Fallout at the same time. Wah, wah, wah. I don't know. I have a feeling like Bethesda knows what they're doing anyway here. <laughs> Fallout 76 got a 7.6 on Metacritic. Um, we'll see where it goes over the next few days. But <laughs> I, you uh, play it? I giggled pretty hell. <laughs> okay, no, I was not going to play it. I was not interested unless it miraculously had really great reviews. And it looks like that's not going to happen so far. But I still will hold out. Maybe two days from now, some publication out there will find the good fun mode. I feel like this is a Matt game. <laughs> Matt game? This is a Matt game? Sorry, what? Like one of those sneaky, like, uh, Matt just comes out and he's like, I've been playing. Done. And you're like, what? Matt, no, you've been playing. No, no. Matt? What game have I done that with? No. I need, uh, I need some context. Path of Exile, Maple Story, D&D. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. No, <laughs> no. no. See, wait, 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 wait. D&D, Path of... Like, those games are not, like, huge AAA titles. They also have NPCs you can talk to. Exactly. That's exactly. true. That's true. The moment they like, announced that, they dug their grave. Yeah, I, I saw yeah. that. I was like, oh, no. So no, not weird. My so weird. Especially with Fallout 4 being so mediocre. <laughs> it still had NPCs, though. <laughs> it, it was fun for a few hours before everything turns into the same meaningless grind. Settlement needs her help. Settlement needs her help. No, no, Preston. Settlement needs her help. No, they don't. They really don't. What was the settlement called again? What were they called? Settlements. You, you you could do the town building. I had more fun with the town oh. building than than the other stuff in that game. And and it's mm, shoot first, mm. ask questions later. It was it. It's the building blocks for for Fallout seventy six. It's like oh you don't if you enjoy God. going around shooting people. Guess what? Fallout seventy six is for you. It's so sad Story? to see the series go in this direction. 
Like that fucking Rick and Morty promotion they were doing. Remember when when Fallout? Did you watch some of the highlights of that? Hell fucking no, because I like my sanity. It was like a train wreck. A diminishing sanity. I want to hold on to it as long as possible. Kotaku did a really good article that was a roundup of all the awkward moments from it, and it was fucking gold. It was so funny. Mm. Just so strange. I wonder if it was as good as the Blizzard conference went. Ooh. Ooh. Let's not revisit that tasty subject. Which we got fan mail about. (laughs) That being said, Path of Exile released a new expansion, so, you know, if you get tired of uh, Diablo... Come over to Path. Of Exile. <laughs> Sounds like our, <laughs> the sponsor this week is Path of Exile. <laughs> if you are tired of Diablo, play Torchlight and Poe. And with that being said, I guess it's time for a break. Donna here for Gallery Furniture. While Wolfman is off at some ball game, I'm here to sell as much furniture as I can. Hey, I'm the Turner Cup champion, Lana Knight. You can be here too. We interrupt this fake sponsorship advert to bring you a real one. We want to extend a heartfelt thank you to our very first podcast sponsor, Ridge Wallets. Ridge Wallets makes wallets, and these are not your granddad's wallets. These are your new rad dad's wallets. Ridge wallets are made out of metal. They're sold in aluminum, carbon fiber, and titanium options. Titanium. Like on the space shuttle. They're they're these like minimalist sandwich wallets that, that smooshes together your, your entire lifetime's worth of, of financial and identity documents. The idea is that you have a sleeve, a metal sleeve that's not really that much bigger than the credit cards themselves, but these very, very strong elastic bands smush everything down into a surprisingly compact pack. Yeah, very much. And it has a little money clip. I was a little worried that, that that everything wouldn't be able to fit. Let it be known, George did try to fit in his monster condom, and it did fit. <laughs> you, you could put the condoms in the money clip. I put a beeper in there that uh, I can press a button at a like remote to find my wallet if I lose track of it, like an old man. <gasps> That's a good idea. So these are not the inflated pillow, the crumbly ballooned biscuit, the big bad dad sack of a wallet that's like cracking at the seams. Yeah, very much my wallet you are describing. Slimming down to your Ridge wallet and carrying that shit around, especially when I went out and got drunk on the weekend. I didn't lose anything. Everything was nice and tightly in my pocket. I have done the test. If you drop a Ridge wallet on the floor, the contents will not spill out. This thing sandwiches your stuff together so freaking hard that it's secure. It is pretty good. If you would like to support the podcast, then please follow the links in the description and check them out. Once again, I want to give a big thank you to Ridge Wallets, who are offering 10% off your first order with free worldwide shipping if you go to RidgeWallet.com DAS. Once again, that's RidgeWallet.com DAS. Link in the description. Thank you for supporting the show and the podcast. Thank you. Thanks. And we are back in to the Dad and Sons podcast. Welcome home. Now let's talk about really scary, freaky-looking Pokemon in a trailer that I think surprised everyone. I don't know if they're scary or not. I can't make up my mind. They look like they should be, but my brain does not, like, shock at the sight. It works, though. It works. It does work. This is the thing, is I can't make up my mind if they're scary or not, Mm -hmm. but they do work. They look like Furbies. And everyone thought Mr. Mine was the scariest. And I thought he was the least scariest looking. No, no, he does. Yeah, he's probably the most popped out, like out of place. Yeah. He he seems the most out of place. But he looked funny. Yeah, Yeah. he was good. I don't know. I just kind of can't help but like think about like if the Pillsbury Doughboy were an evil clown. (laughs) 
What? <laughs> He's like a white, puffy, uh, uh, marshmallow man, <laughs> but has this weird, like, sadistic jester vibe going on with the horns and the shoulder pads. Wait, you're talking about Mr. Mime again? Yeah. Are, are we... Oh, his Wait, eyes. I'm, I'm thinking about the Ghostbusters marshmallow monster for some reason. When yeah, you said pop that. and fresh, right? That's what yeah. I was thinking of, too. Yeah. Pillsbury Doughboy? Like I mean, oh, yeah, I, yeah, I, I know, State Puff Marshmallow? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They're all very similar-looking white, doughy things. <laughs> I guess I guess the, the, the white dough Psyduck person... Psyduck looked the worst to me, though. Psyduck didn't look very great. Um, Where can I flip to catch a glimpse of that Psyduck? Um, about halfway through the trailer when the girl is introduced. Psyduck looks to be like her Pokemon. Okay, let me flip around. But is it just me, or is like Ryan Reynolds is a perfect, perfect Pikachu? Perfect. I, <laughs> like I, I guess. Yeah, that was surprising. Like, oh, Danny, Danny, yeah, really I wanted Danny, Danny, but Ryan Reynolds is it killing it. Like, I'm a little. The only thing I'm worried about because I feel like they're nailing a good feel for the movie. I'm worried about the main character. I'm worried about that he's just bad. <laughs> <laughs> He's, he was in Jurassic World, right? The new one. Like, that's what he was in, right? Am I, I, I didn't that watch correct? it. I didn't watch it. After uh, the first Jurassic Park rerun, I was like, oh, no, no. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen the new one. I just remember, like, I that 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 was him. I'm yeah, trying. He, he doesn't the, the, the seem to be th- delivering his lines well. Yeah. At least in the trailer. And it's a little fake, but it feels a little fake, but I'm pretty sure... Like, it seems like it's going to be campy and fun, and they're going for like a humorous thing, which is also that's weird. A, that, that's the yeah, but that's the weird thing. Also, I feel like the tone of mm-hmm. this trailer was excellent, and it was kind yeah. of like dark noir esque. Is it on brand? You know, <laughs> but that's that's my feeling. Yeah. It's like I'm still so worried. It it's does not look like friend. Nintendo made any of this. No, no, no. it doesn't. It's a good thing. No, <laughs> you think it's a good thing? Yes. Yeah. But that's my that's my nervous worry about is that when we actually watch the film, it won't be able to go f- just far enough to match that tone completely without being still like a kids movie. I'm still a little. You know, I don't want I don't that. want another like Wonder Woman thing. Oh, the power of love, and and then they <laughs> like I don't want that. <laughs> I don't want that. <laughs> I don't like, think that Ryan Reynolds Pikachu is going to do that these days, man. They don't need to be patronized by some damn movie. Like, come on. It looks good though, which it looks real good. Like on I'm a day when it. the Toy Story four trailer, like a new Toy Story gets shown, no one cares. Everyone is watching a Detective Pikachu trailer. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, wait, wait, there's a Toy Story that came out. <laughs> yeah, they're doing a Toy Story four, and, and there's a Toy Story four trailer, Matt. There's two, in fact. I guess the thing is with Toy Story four, you at least know what the characters are gonna look like. Like, you know their general anatomy. <laughs> They're not transitioning admit, from actually, 2D to 3D. Like, both of the Toy Story things were cool. One of them's got, like, Keen Peel playing new, two new characters. That's great, but... Detective Pikachu, man. Ryan Reynolds, man. Yeah. He's killing it. it. Deadpool is killing it, man. Just, like, like the best the best bit in that trailer for me Pika is when Pool. he's... Like, yeah, no, no. <laughs> is when he's like, 
You can understand him, right? She can't understand me. Yo, I can understand him. Pika Pika. Pika Pika. <laughs> You're adorable. You're adorable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I so like good. it. So uh, good. I like it. I like I'm, it. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, even if it's a train wreck, it'll, at least it would, <laughs> it, it'll be fun to look at, you know? So. I can't imagine that Pikachu being, though, bad in any way, though, no matter yeah. what the film turns like. Yeah, like, there, there'll be some pros good, to man. it if there's a lot of cons. There'll definitely be some, like, good good parts, for sure. <laughs> like, just in a trailer itself, you're like, okay, yeah, this is I, worth a watch. It, it just yeah. feels so weird this to see this explode, man. Actually, happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Live it is so weird. With with the weird like non Nintendo with a visually non Nintendo style that's yeah. like riding that line between being gritty and, and and an edgy reboot, but at the same time, it almost seems like a parody of the concept of gritty edgy well, reboots. I wonder how much of this Nintendo actually. Yeah, I wonder if they had to had a say it. in. Yeah, because obviously it's the Pokemon company. They're 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 different. Nintendo owns a part. Oh of the company, yeah, that's right. They're not they're not the major. It's subsidiary. hard to remember that sometimes. They're, but they're that's so the thing is, I'm most I'm just close. mostly amazed that the Pokemon team were like, we are totally okay with going with this realistic style. Because like I was thinking it was going to be like you know the Pokemon Go adverts. Mm-hmm. Or they do look like, like fake CGI. Well, it was going to be like 3D CGI Pokemon in our world. Because those Pokemon Go adverts look pretty good. Like Mewtwo fighting in Times Square in the initial like uh, announcement trailer for Pokemon Go. That shit looks really cool. Um, I'm just massively surprised that the Pokemon company was like, yeah, a really scary looking Charizard dragon thing fucking eating a furry Pikachu. Let's just do it. Let's do it. I wonder what it's gonna, how it's gonna feel like when people actually start making their Pokemon fight each other, and, and the Pokemon get hurt and suffer. Yeah, I did think about that as well. <laughs> it's gonna, that's gonna be a little weird that's, to see in live action. Oh, in live action instead. Well, yeah, because uh, it's easy cartoons. to not think about it when it's a silly pixelated video game. <laughs> it's the yeah. implications. They become more real, I guess, in this, I, this I style. Think, I think this, this so it's going to be pretty interesting to see. Why a lot of people like this is that a lot of people grew up with Pokemon, so this is this tone that they're doing is nailing the kids and the adults that grew up with Pokemon like really well. And we, as the adults, kind of always wondered how a live action would be and. If they were to do a little bit, uh, go a little bit hardcore with the way Pokemon get hurt, like because we're they're, they're it's more realistic to see like a Pikachu get chopped in half. Like there's actually like <laughs> yeah, like there's actually what if like, Pikachu a, like just manga dies? like this. There's a couple mangas that are like hardcore, you know, Pokemon uh, fighting comics. I can't I can't remember what they're called or who makes them, but you, I'm pretty sure you can. Do a little Google search and then you can find them, but yeah. So like it, it's kind of like out of left field. Like wow, like they, oh. are they actually making a serious Pokemon? Like is this? Is oh this my for real? god! I just saw this the the Psyduck. Um, the camera swoops yeah, this, into its mouth at two minutes and fourteen seconds. Yeah, the Psyduck is the only one I'm like. 
Whoa. Not. Well, I have a feeling that in this style, just like real life and real animals, they can be terrifying in certain poses and cute in other poses. Because the Pikachu definitely yeah. looks cute when it wants to be cute, but there's other scenes of, of him just kind of looking dirty and determined. <laughs> Dirty-ass Pikachu <laughs> is, like, what I'm totally in for. Yeah, <laughs> like, like when he's interrogating <laughs> the, the Mr. Mime. what I'm into. <laughs> yeah. Search that on DeviantArt. Be like, <laughs> yeah, I want him to be, like... Dirty-ass Pikachu. Like, just, just put yeah. that oh. in. Just put oh. that in. <laughs> oh, there's our is title. The, I was going to say, is that the title? <laughs> there we go. <laughs> <laughs> Liam is into dirty ass Pikachu's. God damn it! I want like the. I want him to, although he's not voiced by Danny DeVito. I want him to be Danny DeVito as a Pikachu. Like I want him to be always sunny in Philadelphia. Pika Pika. Danny DeVito. <laughs> Pikachu. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, let's. Let's uh, talk about the PlayStation Classic again. All right. Okay. Uh, see you guys later. <laughs> I mean, we had like a nice, fun debate over over the games they picked, the the compromises I guess they had to make. Yeah, which was a fun conversation. Uh, and now it is playable. They are exhibiting it at certain shows. A uh, Kotaku preview article has come out by Chris Collard. He described it as wait, bare bones. Wait, did you bones. see all of... Wait, actually, this is a good point. Did you see most of the preview articles? Like, there was one from IGN. There was, like, one from GamesRadar. I just read this um, Kotaku one in the Twitter thread by not Frank Cifaldi. This, this, supposedly, this thing is pretty meh. It sounds like it, yeah. I mean, the, the Kotaku article describes it as having one save slot um, for your, your like artificial emulator save states, uh, some extremely bare-bones menus that don't even have like a nostalgic jingle, and in the licensing page on the credit screen, they have a credit given to PCSX, which is a open-source, free, PC-based PlayStation 1 emulator that I have played a lot. <laughs> it's weird to see... It's, it's weird, yeah. I say it's weird a lot, but I'm going to change my, my style and be like, It's vindicating! Ha! Take that! I, I always knew emulation was good enough, and if it's good enough for Sony, it's good enough for me, I guess. This is going to be one of those news stories where everyone's going to get really, really angry about an inevitability of a company doing the economically Buying. rational thing and saving money. They didn't... Well, it's not even that. It's using something that you affirmatively despised at one point now to sell a consumer product. It is a bit weird. Yeah, because earlier in, in the years when piracy was a more relevant issue, they would have, and I believe they did... Um, go to some lengths to sue PlayStation emulators out of business. And uh, when they lost, they purchased one and shut it down. And now, since the money is not there anymore in protecting the, place, the, pri the piracy of the PlayStation, they can go ahead and do this. Ugh. I mean, I know it seems like two-faced and weird, but th it is also normal in the system given the circumstances and the incentives companies are dealing with. I don't know. I I, I kind of I just got a little kick out of this news story. It's nothing big. It's nothing nothing silly. It's just like I, I had a I had a giggle at, at the headline and then had a I laugh think it's at big the details. In terms of like, 
I think it's big because obviously Frank Cifaldi is like one of the one of the formative guys for video game preservation. And I hope this kind of thing, especially pointing out stuff like this, especially when yeah. it says, you know, 19 years ago, Sony unsuccessfully tried to sue a PlayStation emulator out of existence, right? And and he's a legacy editor. He was, like, not there when that happened, but he would have done no, the research know, and know the like, history. Pointing this stuff out is really important because it's like, hey, look, you guys tried to make this shit not exist, and now you're selling a consumer product based on this. Hmm. You need to take video game preservation seriously because you don't know 20 years time from now like some of the people who have emulated or kept hold of roms or dumps of like especially cult classic video games that were not that popular you're gonna be like thanking them for that we need to take video game preservation a lot seriously and i mean this comes the same week that nintendo successfully sued a rom website for 12 million dollars we live in a weird age. Yeah. Yeah, we do. It's okay, so long as they don't sue you, and then it's against the law if it, they decide to sue you. How is it okay to sue someone $12 million? I think the idea is that their investors for a company are supposed to be paying for these really expensive legal fees rather than the individuals themselves, which is... Probably not the case. Yeah, probably not the case. I don't case know. For it was just a couple. It was like a couple who were running. What was it? LoveRoms.com or something. Mm-hmm. And um, they were. Yeah, they. I don't know how much oh, they'll obviously pay, but still. The the prices was, behind the American legal system assume that it's companies paying for this stuff, not actual human beings. That's crazy. Crazy. All right. But yeah, video game preservation is important. Very, very important. Uh, More emulators. Speaking, I... I don't know how I can segue from that to dad, and I was about to say the stupidest thing in my life, which would have been, speaking of video games... Speaking of games you will emulate in the future... Because there'll be huge cult hit classics when when inspiration from dad did makes them reality. Oh, <gasps> guys! Actually, guys, I've got an update yeah? about dad dad. I had a Twitter message from a one, um, what was his name? Oh, no. Uh, Anthony uh, Pecorario. Mm, I remember. He was uh, the the mystery dad, Den, uh, who made the the wrestling, the Booker Wrestling Mm -hmm. management sim. Yeah. He actually messaged me saying he was going to go ahead. And make a prototype for it. Oh my god, did we actually, like, inspire him to take that step? I think so. Holy he made a brilliantly designed document. Are we just going to take credit for that? Or just, no, no, no. <laughs> he's doing the work. We're just telling him what a great idea it is and that he should go for yeah, it. Yeah, he was He was just asking for advice wow. about getting, a, like, a, uh, like, a demo together to potentially mm-hmm. hire some people to do it and then pitch it. I mean, That makes me feel so warm and fuzzy. Wow. As we said on the show, it was a good idea. If that can actually happen, like if we can see an idea that got submitted to us that we really liked and convinced the guy to go with it and like learn game development just because of this idea and we actually see it pop up on the internet in five years, imagine how good of a feeling that is going to be for all three of us. That <laughs> And ooh, then in reverse, ooh. come back and sponsor us. And, you know, <laughs> and then the, if the, the game rock. tanks and gets terrible. <laughs> Put the rock in it. But you it. never know until you try. Anthony, if you're listening, you know, we had a nice chat. You don't know until you try. Good luck. 
It sounds like a good idea. Fucking go do it. Whether or not sounds it works great. out, it will enrich your life with the new skills and experiences you will learn and go through. So who will be the next pro wrestling booker today, George? Uh, well, the first submission we got is from a Matthew V. The game's name would be Technomancer. Wait, what? Wait, what? A yeah. Matthew V. Mm, yeah, What's going on yeah, here? Matt V. Not not our Matt V, but a different Matt V. Oh, wow. okay, I see. Matt the Viscoli, Viscol, Viscil, Viscosil, Viscosil. I, I, I was not gonna try to pronounce it. Viscosil. V. V. Is this another Nitro Red situation where? Matt has sent in his own gameplay idea. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I just rolled okay. my head on the keyboard, and that's what came out. Let's let's <laughs> let's get into it. Matt Matt V's game. You know the the Matt V. Uh, uh, Matt V wants to make a game named Technomancer, a dystopian cyberpunk competitive stealth action game that pits players' wits, guile, and communication against each other in team-based objective-focused missions in a format that will leave room for future updates and further growth of the game. Okay, I don't know if your elevator pitch should include how the product is not going to really be finalizing a successful financial strategy until after launch. Um, anyways, gameplay mechanics. 60% of the game will be a third-person, slow-paced, real-time action stealth game inspired by PS3, Xbox 360-era Assassin's Creed game multiplayers. The other 40% being a fast 3D action platformer like a third-person Titanfall, more so than Assassin's Creed. The game will be focused primarily on multiplayer, but will shoot to include an 8-10 to hour campaign that will seek to utilize all the mechanics that the player will encounter in multiplayer and sell players on a hackerman fantasy. Missions slash matches will occur in dense but decently large maps filled with NPCs in which you must complete objectives. What it is, is a main game mode that will be a 3v3 one flag CTF mode where teams must try to explore both the real world and the cyber world without giving away their identities! The players will have identifying characteristics such as bulky cybernetics or a telltale matrix like jack-in port on the back of their heads. They'll have a variety of thematically appropriate technomancy abilities such as digital cloaking, hologram, hologram jammers, and the like to avoid detection or bait out the enemy. The cyber world will only be accessible through physically connecting to the internet with a cable between the character and any sort of computer, which will be everywhere like every two feet. The cyber world will be an upscaled caricature of the real world to facilitate the action platforming. Players must find a flag in the cyber world and bring it back to uh, where they entered from the real world and then move to their team's capture point in the real world to score. There's no dying in Technomancer. The closest thing being that if a player dies in the real world, you, you, you get like a 30 to 45 second cooldown timer, which is another thing I want to talk about. 30 to 45 seconds is a long ass time when you're sitting there and can't do anything about it. Yeah, but I like the idea of, you know, like, um, you know, like in Superhot, when spoilers for the end of Superhot, don't listen if you care. In the end of Superhot, you kind of chase yourself down while you're playing VR. Like there is a moment where you look at yourself in VR. So it would be cool if you were like chasing other players down who were like jacked into the system and then you you killed them while they're in the VR. Yeah, I, I like the idea of having to mentally map out two different maps in your head as you go through and and like trying to figure out the relationships between between the two like a light world and a dark world situation yeah except it sounds like the idea of the cyber world being an upscaled version of the real world means that you would be able to think up routes like creatively from your experience in the real world 
that would make it feel relatable and familiar once you jack in. Um, but yeah, uh, let's talk about the art style. Uh, they want a Blade Runner, Shadowrun style, metropolitan, cyberpunk, dirty dystopia. Technology has been advanced to a point where the tech we've built is so hyper-complex that nobody wants to or likely is able to understand what it even is or how it works. We can only figure <laughs> this technology out through the deduction of what its effects are, and it's basically magic. That's a great basis for building a game, okay? If in the cyberpunk dystopia public education goes down the tube, then maybe technology will start to feel like magic for uh, you uh, know kids who don't grow up with the frame of reference of of understanding how I mean, physics and electricity cold, cold. works. It will all come crumbling down when no one can use it then, 20 years after that fact. Well, there's a lot of interesting scenarios to think about over the next few decades. One of which is whether or not a game like Technomancer could get made, which uh, they expect to cost two years in development with 50 million US dollars, which I think actually sounds like the most realistic part of this pitch. Yeah. 15 million is pretty, yeah. I would say, pretty okay yeah. with that, depending on how big the team is. <clears throat> one thing that's going to be a massive challenge is you have to make two, not just one, but two open worlds. I think the idea is that the real world, quote-unquote, would be a lot more smaller and cheaper to develop. But then cause... what would be the point of, like, no, because huh. the idea is, huh. the idea doesn't work unless you have an an interesting and interactive reason to travel to a different computer. Otherwise, you're just logging into a computer every time. There must be some reason why getting to a computer is hard because it's a race, isn't it? You're, you're, you're racing to a computer to get into mm -hmm. the cyber world to then get the flag. But what is hindering you from just walking to your computer from your bed in a house in the game to then get the flag? What is, what is the gameplay point beyond that? There has to be some reason. So if you had an open world where players could interact with each other, almost like a, a kind of a, a PlayStation Home-esque <laughs> a thing where players can interact and you can chill in lobbies and hang out with the each Oasis. other. Like if it is a real world. But then you can also prevent other players by breaking into their into their apartments or their homes and like stealing their computer equipment. There has to be like two levels to this game one that stuff is happening that you have to split your brain into you have to think about what's happening outside of the cyber world in the real world other players preventing you from using the computer and then thinking about the actual like video game that is inside of technomancer which is capturing the flag where you have all these powers it'd be cool if you could have like powers where while you're in the cyber world, you could have like a sneak peek, like a security camera inside your room to check if other players are coming in there. Oh, that would be cool. yeah, like. Uh... But you have to think the only way this game could be interesting is by having reasons to be interactive in the real world. It, it sounds otherwise like it's just a game where you're an avatar who sits at a computer to then play capture the flag, Halo. And then log out. Like you're uh, juggling multiple objectives across multiple worlds at the same time. And I guess figuring out the fun would be figuring out how to make that not feel too stressful and too, too like, complex. For example, like the way I would approach it, if this was my initial pitch on this game, because I like the idea of 
being distracted. Like, the game is set up in servers that you jump into, but each server is like a cul-de-sac. And you have 16 players, maybe, who all live in a cul-de-sac. So it's not that big. It's not an open world. It's a it's a cul-de-sac with, you know, like, fully fleshed houses and stuff like that. Think, um, what's the Black Ops 2 map? Nuketown. Is it Black Ops? New, yeah. That, with all the houses and stuff, really good cul-de-sac-esque area and then in each each player has a home and then in the home maybe is one or two computers and then you can dip in and out with your team out of the real world into the cyber world to get the flag and you have to like communicate with each other in an almost rainbow six wet uh siege way about who stays in the real world to try and mess with the other players' computers, like breaking into their homes and trying to pull out the Ethernet cable or trying to, like, I don't know, smash their monitor or something like that. And then who are the other players who head into the cyber world who you have to protect who then have to capture the flag? That would be, like, multiple levels of thinking. I think... I would play that game. This design pitch requires another day or two of multiple levels of thinking it's there's this promise in there no imagine like nuketown from black ops but take the black ops gameplay and put it in a computer in that map and you you can go into the other player's house and then like fuck with them to stop them from progressing in that cyber world i really like that it's like the matrix like you know, yanking people out of the Matrix while they're trying to progress through the Matrix doing stuff. It's like... And then having you know, the cybernetics you get in the in the, in the the cyber world help you progress to get and capture the flag, but they also allow you to, like, by, like, you know, having a security camera that or, or, or having alarms that go off in the cyber world if someone's entered your apartment or something like that. I like that. And then you have to quickly dive out of the cyber world, protect yourself in the real world, and then go back into the cyber world and continue. So, what do we want to give it, guys? Uh, I'm gonna give him. I'm gonna. I'm gonna fucking go with it. You're gonna go for it. Uh, okay. As long as like. Good luck. <laughs> no, that that's a game I would want to play. Right, and I feel like I don't want to go for it until the description reads a little tighter and more focused and. Change the main game mode from being a 3v3 flag, capture the flag mode, because that's just superfluous to the objective. The game has to be about the two different worlds and how you make that interesting. Which you do that? would be nice to put in the front of, of the pitch at the very beginning and focus on that as the primary theme. Yeah, it says 60% will be a third-person, slow-paced, real-time action <laughs> stealth game. A lot well, of adjectives. that can be the stuff... In the real world, where you are sneaking into other players' houses and stuff. And then the 40% being a fast-paced 3D action platformer, more like third-person Titanfall. That could be the capture the flag part in the cyber world. I would do that. That would that would be a that would make for a really cool game. There are not many games that make you think about two different worlds or two different dualities. Uh, Matt, what are you going to give them? Oh, the hotel internet didn't allow me to hear some of that so uh i'm gonna say why not uh, let, let's let's go with liam let's, let's do it liam. <laughs> let's do it matt let's matt it. you and me together, together. seven point okay. seven point five million each end. are you cool with seven point five million Ooh. Matt, each? Ooh. okay 
Okay. I gotta uh, have to move. Nice. I'm gonna have to move some stuff around, but I think I can do it. Nice. No more nice, five dude. million. Oh Lord and mercy. So unfortunately, now that we've submitted all our our, our opinions of of Matt V's game, we we gotta wrap up. Uh, thank you, Matt V, for submitting a game. Thanks. Thanks for the game, Matt. Uh, we will have Visual. more next week when, when we can kind of sort of arrange our, our time to, to do more Dad Den. But send in your submissions to dadandsonspodcast at gmail.com. Also send in questions. Actually, do send us lots of questions. A little low on the questions this week. But we will see you next week after after an exciting experience playing <laughs> Fallout 76 and Let's Go Pikachu. No, 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 no. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Heck, yeah. I'm, I'm going to... Go to that video game store tomorrow, and I'm going to drop a hot, fat oh. 10,000 yen outside of my Ridge wallet and pick up that Pikachu. Did you have to say that? Yeah. Uh, dropping a hot, fat noun? <laughs> let, let me let me say, like, when I pull out that Ridge wallet, people give me some stares. They be like, oh, man, what is this guy? What is this wallet? Oh, my God. Who is this super spy? You get a mad aluminum respect. Yeah. It's like, oh, man, that design, that elegance. One, one, one last fun fact before we leave. I finally found it. I finally looked it up. Uh, in 1902, well, we have statistics for 1900. The literacy rate in the U.S. was pretty all right, about 90%. So everyone in Red Dead 2 should be able to read and write okay. Well, 90% of the people. And you can nice. read the hyperlink to richwise.com oh forward slash D-A-S. <laughs>